Welcome to the Abide Podcast, where our goal is helping others delight in Christ for the sake of becoming more like Christ with the hope of multiplying disciples of Christ. Well, hey, friends, welcome back to the Abide Podcast. This is episode number seven, and we are going to be wrapping up our discussion on the Old Testament today. Um, took us seven episodes to get through the Old Testament, which I feel like is like a good amount, but also like it's the whole Old Testament. We could spend yeah. literally so long yeah. <laughs> on them. So we really <laughs> like blew through the Old Testament. Um, but yes, uh, I am joined again with Emma Halterman. Hello. She was on last week talking about wisdom and that was such a fun conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now we get to jump in and tackle prophecy. Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, when I was thinking about recording this podcast with you, I was like, how the heck are we going to talk about prophecy in one 30 to 45 minute conversation? Yeah. I <laughs> told Laura before we started that we're talking about 450 pages of my Bible <laughs> today. So uh, <laughs> we're going to be concise. <laughs> yeah. I, we're just going to keep this at a real conceptual, yes. like, 70,000 foot level, like not going to get too much into the nitty gritty details. Um, but what we are going to talk about is how prophecy fits in with the story of the Bible Mm -hmm. and how we see God's love and glory displayed in prophecy. Um, same concepts as we've been talking about for the past six episodes, um, carrying that through to prophecy. And honestly, I will say I love reading through the prophets. Yeah. It simultaneously breaks my heart for my own sin, but it also stirs my heart and makes it sore seeing how much God loves and pursues us through our own sin. Yeah. I think the, my, so I think my favorite thing about reading through prophecy is that it's not something that you can read at the surface level. Like prophecy is something that you really need to have a commentary ready for Mm -hmm. and you really need to like kind of dig deeper. Otherwise you're going to miss it. And I know for me um, that challenges me to like really dig in deeper with my times with God. Mm. Like a lot of times if I'm reading through kind of straightforward narratives, it's Mm -hmm. just kind of like, well, I understand this. So why do I need to go further? Right. And there's a lot of times when you're reading prophecy where you're like, I have no idea what's going on. So yes, (laughs) literally. I have no idea what the heck is this talking about. Yes. Um, so to begin the conversation, just an overview of what prophecy is. Yes. Um, I think it's good to mention that the books of prophecy are kind of divided up into two sections. Yeah. So you have the major prophets and the minor prophets, and that's not distinguished based off of like um, – these are more important than, than the others. Mm-hmm. It's just the major prophets are very lengthy and they cover a longer period of time yes. than the minor prophets do. So there's the, those two types of prophecy that we see. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of talk through the nature of prophecy. I think we see like two types of prophecy. Yes. So yeah, talk us through that. Yeah. So there's a lot that goes into prophecy in itself and something too that I want to talk about with the prophets as a Mm -hmm. whole in the book and also outside of these books. Um, The books of prophecy are not always what we think of when we think of prophecy. They are books that were written by a prophet. Right. And so they are not always prophetic in nature. Mm -hmm. Like, Lamentations is probably more poetic than yes. prophetic, right? But because it was written by presumably Jeremiah, mm-hmm. who was a prophet, it's yeah. within the books of the prophet. Yes. Um. And so, 
the ones that are prophetic and most of them aren't fully prophetic. Like there's a narrative mixed in. Yeah. Sometimes a lot of the minor prophets are Mm -hmm. just specifically the prophecies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think Laura's going to talk to us a little bit about the different types of prophecy Mm -hmm. being foretelling and foretelling. Yeah. Yeah. So when we think of prophecy, we think of foretelling. Mm -hmm. I'm foretelling the future. Yes. Right. And the prophet's do that. Um, a lot of the prophets will um, prophesy about the coming exile, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of the prophecy that we see in the Bible has kind of dual fulfillment within the exile and the redemption from the exile, but then also messianic prophecies, things like that, even ecclesi- uh, oh, eschatological, yes. that's the word, yes. um, eschatological um prophecies and that's a big fancy word for like end of time the end times um so that's foretelling honestly that's a smaller part of prophecy um the larger majority part of prophecy that we see is called forth telling. Mm-hmm. So this is when the prophet will look at Israel and they will call their sin out. They will call them to repentance. And so when you read the books of prophecy, what you'll see a lot, which is why it's heartbreaking to read, you see Israel's sin displayed and it's messy mm-hmm. and it's destructive and um it's often personified as things that are just horrible. horrible. Yeah. Like adulterous adulterous women, yeah. like like <laughs> there's so many things that we can talk about with yes. with that. But that is a large chunk of prophecy is um just these prophets looking at Israel. And so kind of to to also clarify, um prophets fit within the historical books because uh so like two weeks ago uh jonathan and i spent a lot of time talking about the history of israel and what we talked about was the cycle of sin that that we see in the israelites and also in ourselves Mm -hmm. um and so we came to the conclusion that israel was just wicked and rebellious like continuously and god was so patient and loving through that and the prophets will mirror that but they'll come at it at a different way where history kind of just describes what happened prophecy will describe their sin and it will describe what God's going to do about their sin. Yeah. The prophets functioned just as these people that went to warn the nations. They were more like activists than they were like fortune tellers. Yes. Um, And so they were more about calling people out on things. Um, And I think this is important to note specifically when when we talk about the spiritual gift of prophecy Mm -hmm. in today, because it's much more about being able to kind of um, have discernment about other people in the sense of like being able to call them out on things and doing yeah. things like that than it is telling the future. Yeah, um, and which so, is one of Emma's spiritual gifts. So I get the fun receiving end of her being able to call me out on all my crap. Yeah, I'm also just <laughs> like... No, it's great. It's great. But yeah. <laughs> You do it in such a loving way and it's beautiful and like you're really good at <laughs> loving people in their mess. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I can't be blunt. So <laughs> I, I guess that's kind of like, you know how a lot of people don't really love the prophets a whole lot because they don't really like, yeah, like I can't, I have to be careful because I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be the, 
don't know. Poor Jeremiah. Poor no Jeremiah. one wanted to <laughs> no listen wanted to, to him. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think a really good example of this, and I think a really well-known example of this, is the book of Jonah. Jonah yeah. is a prophet, and he mm-hmm. is sent to, to, to warn the Ninevites of the yeah. um, coming judgment on their sins. Mm-hmm. He's not sent to be like hey, Nineveh, like, here's all of the things that are going to happen in your future. Like, he literally goes in and says, like, hey, God's going to punish you guys because you haven't been doing right by him. Mm -hmm. That's his role. Yeah. Um, Once he gets there, Um, (laughs) which is a journey. (laughs) That's a fun one. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Um, So, yeah, I think that's a good clarification um, to make. And a lot of these prophets are just, like, average people. Like, I'm pretty sure it was Amos who uh, was literally just like a shepherd. Yeah. Like he was just like a farmer, like a, like a dude just living his life. And God is like, Hey, go call out Israel's sin. Yeah. And he's like, well, okay, yeah. fine. I'll, okay. I guess. They weren't like <laughs> necessarily these like priestly figures who grew up like studying the Torah and right. like, all of these, they were just like God fearing men that God used for his purposes. Right. Yeah. yeah. And like some of them were in like, the royal court of certain kings and things like that and had that kind of role. Um, But a lot of them also were just like normal people. Um, Which I think, again, goes back to something that uh, Jonathan and I were talking through in the history of Israel and with the Exodus is that God uses the unlikely candidates to to like bring his will about. And I think we see that in the prophets uh, in the prophets as well, especially with Jonah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Jonah. What are you thinking, dude? Um, but yeah. And I think that's a good point to make too. And I think one of the things that I love specifically about the first prophet, which is Isaiah mm-hmm. is we get to see this interaction of Isaiah realizing mm-hmm. how unworthy he is to be God's prophet yeah. and like what that looks like. And I think that says a lot about God using the unworthy, mm-hmm. but like, when you're humble and like you really like know your place, like yeah. God can do mighty things through mm-hmm. you, no matter what like yeah. your skill set looks like. Um, yeah. and so I think like Isaiah is honestly a very similar encounter to as like Moses at the burning bush in different yeah. ways, um, but is like a very good example of uh, being someone who maybe shouldn't be used by God, but like in recognizing where you are weak Mm. allows God to use him in big ways. Yeah. That's something that Jonathan hit on as well. A lot that like, he beat me to it. He beat you to it. It's, he loves this like whole quote about, uh, when God has like a choice of weapon, he'll always choose the weaker weapon. I can't remember. I think maybe that's RC Sproul. I can't really remember. I don't, I don't know. He's, he's a huge nerd and he he knows all these quotes quotes in his brain. than (laughs) I think I have brain cells in my entire brain. Yeah. Um, but yes, um, I think another thing to say about prophecy, um, again, that we, that I got from our seminary professor, Dr. Williams, (laughs) shout out Dr. Williams again, um, (laughs) is just that a lot of times I think we can read this, these like specific scenarios in the prophets Mm -hmm. and we can think wow that sounds a lot like the world today (laughs) um and what our professor had pointed out was that we feel like that and it's not just with prophecy i think we mentioned this last week with psalms um is that this is kind of god's promised patterns of his activity and how he's going to deal with the evil in our world yeah and i think that it's really important within that to recognize that um When we read prophecy, I think it's really important to recognize that when we feel like this is something that relates to our world today, that it certainly does, but it has related to 
other mm-hmm. time periods as well. Right. Because I think it can be really, really dangerous to read prophecy and be like, oh my gosh, this <laughs> is being fulfilled at this moment right now. Yeah. Because that is probably not true. Right. There is just a lot of times multiple fulfillments within that prophecy yes. because of the repetitive nature of human nature. That's true. That's true. I think the prophets specifically highlight more, maybe more than anywhere else in the Bible, the nature of human sin. Yeah. It's gross and it's messy and it's just really like, just read the book of Hosea. You'll get my gist. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks. We're like a yo-yo. No matter how far you throw us, we always go back to right where we started. <laughs> yeah. And so I think it's important for us to study prophecy because for many different reasons. I mean, it's in the Bible, it's scripture, like we need to study it. But I think also it gives us a glimpse into our own tendencies. Um, and it shows us how God, this is actually a Psalm um, talking about how God doesn't repay us according to our iniquities and he doesn't deal with us according to our sins. And I think we see that a lot in, in the prophets. Um, but I also think we need a healthy view of, of who God is and how he deals with things because a major thing that we see in the prophets is God dealing with the sin of Israel and his judgment on it. Um, so that he can redeem his people. Um, and so I think like, it's just, I don't know where I'm going with this thought. I just think that like, it's really important for us to understand prophecy from the standpoint of knowing God's character and knowing how much he hates sin and how much the links that he will go to so that evil can be dealt with. Yeah. Well, I think like something that we have to say from the beginning when you're talking about judgment is that God's judgment is always just because that's an equally big part of his character is that he is just. And so God is never pouring out wrath and judgment on people that don't deserve it except for one time and that was in Jesus and that was because Jesus decided to take on all of that for us Um, and so whenever we read about judgment it's important to realize and what the prophets say over and over and over again is look at what you've done. Yep. This is why you're living in this consequence. Yep. Because of what you've done. And so mm-hmm. the prophets can be really hard to read because they deal a lot with judgment. Yep. But when you dig deep into just how much Israel did wrong by the mm-hmm. Lord, it's really kind of obvious of like, well, yeah, like actions of conse- consequences, right? Right. Um, and so, yeah, just yeah. remembering the justice in mm-hmm. who God is, I think yeah. is really important. Yeah. So we had mentioned how they fit within the historical books. Um, So I think you can break up them. I know we've already broken them up into major and minor, but I think you can also break them up into the different like time periods that they prophesied in. Yes. Um, So you have the pre-exilic prophets, and I'm not going to list all of them and what they fall into, but some of them prophesy to Israel and Judah pre-exile. Some of them prophesy to them during the exile, and then some of I pro- some of them prophesy to them after the exile. Yes. So that's like the time period that we're talking about. Yeah, it's pretty much throughout the entire history of Israel. Pretty much. Um, and I think it's important. We do not have time to go through and list all of these, but yeah. when you are reading a book of prophecy, you have to know the historical context of where you're in. Because so crucial. If you read a book that's talking about 
the time period after exile and you're reading it through the lens of a pre-exilic view, it's not going to make any sense Mm -mm. and it's going to be really confusing. And so, um, yeah, I know you've talked about biblical resources and that before, Mm -hmm. but definitely do your research and find out when this book is being written and what it's specifically addressing. Yes, I agree. Context is key. Absolutely. In, in any book, specifically the prophets. Specifically the prophets. Um, but also commentary will help you understand a little bit more about what is being said in the text because just the nature of how prophecy is written yeah. is very confusing. Yes. If you don't know what you're reading. Like it talks a lot about different um, cities and things and it has names for things that we're like, what the heck is that? Yeah. So just like... it. You'll t- you'll spend a long time reading the prophets, but it'll be worth it. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, and even like who it's being like prophesied to, because yeah. you do have these times where the nation of Israel is one, and then they split off. And right. so, like making sure you know who mm-hmm. it's addressing within that is really yeah. important too, because one of those nations was significantly uh, <laughs> more faithful than the other. Right. Um, and so right. understanding that yeah. is really important as well. Right. Or there's some prophets that prophesy about nations and yeah. pagan nations. And yeah. Like Babylon and yeah. Syria is the same thing. But yeah. 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 Um, so now we'll kind of focus our conversation on how in the world (laughs) is God's love and glory displayed through prophecy. And uh, I have a lot of thoughts on this and I'm probably going to go on a big rant. So I want to let you (laughs) give any thoughts that you have before I kind of get hype. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Gosh. I feel like this is a really big question. Um, it is a very big question. <laughs> and I think it's kind of hard to answer if you're not familiar with with prophecy that much. Yes. Um, so I think really where we see God's love in prophecy is this pattern of, um, and I'm sure you guys talked about this in history, but this pattern of Israel kind of getting off track and God, one, warning them. Yeah. And then they don't get back on track because they're hard of heart and they're Mm -hmm. not listening and they're far from God. And so then God sends something that in essence is judgment Mm -hmm. upon them. And then typically at some point they come back to God and they're faithful for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then that cycle just repeats. Um, And so I think that section in between sin and judgment mm-hmm. of warning is where we find prophecy. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's so crucial because honestly, the second that Israel goes astray, God has every right to like immediately send them into that judgment yep. phase. Um, but the prophets show that that's not his heart. He Mm-mm. doesn't want them to like, he doesn't want to pour out judgment. Right. He doesn't want to pour out wrath on them. Right. Um, he would rather forgive them and like mm-hmm. warn them and like, right. Um, have them come humbly back with repentant hearts. That's always what God wants. Like God wants a repentant heart. Mm. And um, I think that's where we see a lot of God's love. And then in the fact that despite the fact that they don't respond to warning um, most of the time, yeah, (laughs) it's the people that you don't expect to respond that usually do. Yeah. Like the Ninevites. Right. Um, But the fact, despite the fact that they don't respond to God's warning most of the time, 
God doesn't just like um, snap his fingers, wipe them out. He always leaves a remnant of the faithful. And I think um, tying this back to like narrative, there's Mm -hmm. that um, kind of dialogue in Genesis of like, um, I forget who it's with, but where basically he's saying like, God, if what if there's 20 faithful people? Ah, yeah, yeah. Um, What if there's Abraham, I think. Yeah. Yeah. What if there's 10? What if there's five? What if there's one? And like God repeatedly says like, I will save them. Yeah. Um, and that's his story with Israel too. Yep. If there's 20 Israelites that are remaining faithful, mm-hmm. that's the remnant that God's going to then build from again. Um, mm. And I think like God shows his judgment in a variety of different ways throughout the history. Like we see mm-hmm. Noah in the flood and like, yep. I think we see in God's reaction to that, how devastating and hard that was mm-hmm. um, for him. And so I think through this, we see a lot of just God's, pouring out of love on the people and giving so many chances. Um, yeah. I think a lot of times we look at the cross as like our second chance, but like for the nation of Israel, like <laughs> they had, so, like, and they that was ultimately the always the chance. Right. right? But right. like God doesn't just give a second chance. Like it's like that. How often do you forgive your brother? Like yeah. as often as, as it takes many times. As, um, yeah. And, our forgiveness is so much more finite compared to God's forgiveness. And so I think the prophets just really showcase that a lot. Um, and it's just really beautiful. Um, I'm a big sucker for Jonah because I see a lot of my own personal, like coming to faith story in Jonah. Um, and I also think we see God's love for people outside of the nation of Israel of the fact that like the prophets don't just come to the Israelites. They come to people, um, outside of the nation and like God uses even Jonah's disobedience to bring people to him with the Mm. sailors on the boat and things like that. And so I think like through prophecy, especially with prophecy that literally talks about like God bringing redemption to all nations. Um, we see like from the beginning through prophecy that God was always for all people. Mm. Um, and so I think that that's also just a really big aspect of God's love and just the glory of God that he's like welcoming in everyone. Yeah. So, yeah. I think it's easy for us to read prophecy and only see destruction and wrath and vengeance. And that's a lot of what we see in it. But, and I think that's also why a lot of people will look at the Old Testament and just see an angry God. Yeah. Um, but I, I just find it so interesting that people always ask the question of, you know, how could God allow so much evil to exist? When is God going to do something about this evil? And then when we read the Old Testament and we see God dealing with evil, we don't like it. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's because we, and this goes in a lot of different ways, but we want God's judgment on the evil done on us, but we don't want God's judgment on the evil that we do. Right. Like we want God's grace for ourselves. But we don't always want God's grace for other people. Right. Exactly. Well, and I think that comes back to us defining what's good and evil for ourselves. Yeah. You know, we, we want God de- to deal with evil. But we don't want to admit that we are a big part of the evil that needs to be dealt with. Yeah. And uh, if God was, you know, I think we've heard this several times that God, if he was to rid the world of evil, he would have to rid the world of human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's in God's love that he doesn't do that. It's in God's love that he chooses to put his son on a cross to to completely take on the whole wrath of God in our place so that he doesn't have to rid the world of us. Um, But what we see in prophecy is 
we see God dealing with Israel's sin in a very just way. Like, like the exile was punishment and judgment for their wickedness, but it was also a way of dealing with their evil in this grace filled way of not just wiping them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and he specifically deals with their evil so that he can bring about redemption. Like there would not be redemption if God didn't deal with evil. Yeah. Um, like that's the whole point of the cross um, is, is God's wrath poured out on evil so that he can usher in his love for us fully, completely without any like hindrance. Yeah. That's, I think, a major thing that we see in prophecy is um, you'll read passages, just just long, drawn-out passages about Israel's sin and about what God's going to do about it. And we can read that and think God is scary and he's vengeful and he's wrathful and he's mean. But really, like, that's what we all deserve. Like, that's what we all deserve and we don't get it. Yeah. Like... We don't get it. I mean, those who are in Christ don't get it. Right. You know, the books of the prophets are filled and saturated with God's love every single step of the way. Yeah. Um, Chris likes to talk about God's wrath as being God's love poured out against sin. Yeah. And it's true. God would not be a loving God if he didn't deal with evil. And I think it's a fair thing to say that everyone wants God to deal with evil, but it goes back again. If we want him to deal with evil, then we have to accept what he defines as evil. Yeah. And what he defines as evil is, is anything that is in rebellion against him. Um, and unfortunately that's all of us. Yeah. And so in God's love, he makes a way to deal with evil without wiping us out. Yeah. Well, and I think that goes back to kind of what we were talking about last week with wisdom of Mm -hmm. like when we start to define our own wisdom and we start to define our own version of what is evil, we start Mm -hmm. to create our own version of morality. And that is just not our place because godly wisdom tells us that God has designed what is good and what is evil. And that knowledge ultimately from the very beginning was just for him. Yep. Um, And so I think that that is really, really um, cool. Yeah. And yeah, going back to like that t- conversation too about like, um, I think a lot of times we read through this and instead of the fear of the Lord, we go back into that kind of Adam and Eve version of like being afraid of the Lord, mm-hmm. um, of being scared of his destruction. Mm-hmm. And that's when I think it kind of goes from being fear of the Lord to being afraid of the Lord mm-hmm. is when you are, you realize your own inadequacy and you see his judgment. And so you're fearful of that judgment. Mm -hmm. But fear of the Lord takes that a step above and says, okay, but I know that because of Christ, like God loves me and Mm. God's judgment doesn't fall on me. It falls on Christ. And that's when we can lovingly fear Mm -hmm. the Lord and not be afraid because God doesn't want us to be afraid of him. No, he wants us to fear him because of his glory Mm -hmm. and because of everything that he's holding back from us. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is just really important. When we look at prophecy, we see the judgment that God is capable of. Mm-hmm. And I think we can really rest in the like love that has said, but because of Jesus, you're not going to get that. Yeah. I also think that um, every single, I don't think that there's a single prophetic book in here that 
doesn't have a portion of restoration uh-huh. in the midst of judgment. Yes. Like there will always be restoration no matter how much judgment comes and how severe that judgment is. There is always redemption that follows for that righteous remnant. And I think, I think you were talking about it earlier that shows God's love, but also kind of like you were talking about between this sin and this judgment period of all the prophets warning them and giving them chances. And it didn't just happen. You know, God's judgment didn't just happen. Like he gave them so many opportunities to repent and turn back to him in so many different ways. And uh, man, how like patient is he with us? Yeah. You know? Well, and that's like, uh, something that I think always sticks out to me in the prophets is that, uh, like I said earlier, no one really listens to them. And so it's Mm -hmm. like, how many moments are we kind of missing out on like some sort of warning, you know, like how many times are we just like doing our own thing and are kind of like, ah, you over there, go back and lie down in the dirt where you belong. (laughs) Um, but yeah. And like, I think we see that even like going back to like Noah, Noah wasn't a prophet, but like homeboy was building a boat. Like if that's not a warning that something big is happening, (laughs) like Noah in and of itself, his actions Mm -hmm. were a warning to the people around him that something is coming and they didn't listen, um, as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think that nature of just, um, missing the warning is such a big part of this human pattern as well that we see. (laughs) Yeah. 100%. Uh, we miss a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. So I think, um, you know, because prophecy is just such a big thing to talk through, I think like the main points that I would want to just emphasize again is that as you read prophecy, what you're going to see is God dealing with evil justly and rightly Mm -hmm. and him also ushering in redemption in the midst of that as well. Um, Those are, I think, two main themes that in any prophetic book you read, that's what you're going to get. Yeah, and I think that prophecy is such a great, um, obviously, like, not my design, but um, it's such a great transition into the New Testament because Mm. that full restoration is found in Jesus. And a lot of the prophecy directly points to Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, Specifically, like, the first book of prophecy, Isaiah, Mm. has these beautiful moments of servant songs Mm -hmm. that just describe Jesus so beautifully um, from an Old Testament perspective. Um, And so... And I know, um, Laura, you really loved the book of Malachi when you read it because it's just such a glimpse to Jesus and it's right. It's the book right before Matthew. Right. And so I think that like prophecy is such a great tie in the whole meta narrative of the Bible of pointing from Israel's past history of failure to God's Mm -hmm. full plan for restoration in Jesus. Um, because that remnant doesn't just get restoration of being brought back from exile and restoration in establishing their nation, building their walls, building their temple again, but ultimately the full restoration that they receive is in Jesus Christ. Right. Uh, yeah, you get this sense when you read the old Testament in general, um, you're left wanting more um, because you, you see these little, these like high moments of, and, and like glimpses of restoration and redemption in, in all of these stories that we've been talking about and all of these people we've been talking about from Abraham all the way to the prophets. Um, But they always inevitably leave us looking to something 
more, something greater. And I think we see that at the very, very end of Malachi um, when it talks about, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. And that was Horeb is Mount Sinai. Um, It says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So that's how the Old Testament ends. Uh, Utter destruction, no. Um, So what it's talking about in this is it's talking about a prophet like Moses and a prophet like Elijah that will come. And Matthew opens up with um, this prophet, uh, well, it opens up with the genealogy of Jesus and the birth of Christ. (laughs) But then it talks about John the Baptist and John the Baptist is, um, Jesus is, Jesus attributes John the Baptist to being the prophet like Elijah, Mm -hmm. um, calling and, and pointing to the Messiah, um, the prophet like Moses. Um, and so, the reason why I love Malachi so much is because the way it ends is it really summarizes literally the whole Old Testament. You can summarize the Old Testament with Moses and with Elijah because Moses is the law and Elijah is the history and prophets. Yeah. Like that's literally the whole, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and it ends by saying, hey, like this isn't it. These people who we've seen glimpses of God's redemption in um, and glimpses of God's judgment in, uh, this isn't it. There is one who will come who will be the ultimate redeemer and take on the ultimate judgment. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I think the Old Testament is so, so important. And I hear, I heard, and this really gets to me, I heard someone talk about how they wish that the New Testament was longer than the Old Testament. And I was like, (laughs) <laughs> Who are you to question God's <laughs> word for one? But also we need the Old Testament in order to see our need for Jesus. Like we mm-hmm. need to see the nation of Israel strive and fail and strive and fail mm-hmm. over and over and over again to realize that um, without Jesus, there is no hope. Because yeah. if Abraham, Moses, David, Solomon, if all of these really like founding fathers of faith, mm-hmm. if none of them could bring um, the people bring any, like if none of them could bring the people back to God, yeah, then there is no hope other than Jesus right. who ultimately can and succeeds in bringing the people back to God. Right. Um, and so I think that just, you know, as you've covered the old Testament in these mm-hmm. seven episodes, it's so important to like really recognize that the old Testament is true history mm-hmm. and that at points very and truly like super directionally towards Jesus. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we've made it, we've made it to Malachi. We made it to the end of the old Testament. Yes. Um, and just like from a historical perspective between Malachi and between Matthew, um, there's, like what 400 ish years oh gosh, I'd have to Google I can't it. There's remember a lot that happens yeah uh, we, we actually <laughs> just took a new testament class which was 
interesting, but they talked about the intertestamental period mm-hmm. a little bit. And yeah. uh, something that I thought was interesting is the Jewish celebration of Hanukkah actually yeah. comes from something that happened in the intertestamental period. And yeah. this is uh, the Maccabean revolt. Mm-hmm. And so um, there is a period of once again, um, <laughs> people taking over Israel mm-hmm. and like forcing rules upon the Jews and the Jews yeah. kind of having to fight back again. And there's so much that happens within this. We mm-hmm. switch from Hebrew to Greek because of Alexander the great. Yep. Um, so much of those history names that you learned in world history will come in during yep. this time. This is when our kind of modern, uh, history kind of yeah. starts to form. Um, but a lot happens in between this last word mm-hmm. of the old Testament and in, in the prophet of Malachi and, uh, Jesus. And I think yeah. chronologically the last book to be written was probably um Esther. Last book to be written? I'm not sure. Maybe probably. But I know the end of like Israel's history that we have recorded in the is, is Nehemiah. Because Esther happens um in like historically Esther happens with Ezra. Okay. And so then Nehemiah, Nehemiah comes after that. Right. So the last bit of history that we have then is this restoration of the wall. And then once again, what happens? Oh my gosh. This Israel falls away. Oh my gosh. Honestly, like this story is just so like profound in the sense that it reveals again, the human nature because like Israel after the exile comes in and they restore, they, they build the temple again. They build the wall. They complete it all. They dedicate themselves to the Lord again. And then the very last chapter, historically speaking, the very last chapter that goes over the history that we have covered in the old Testament is talking about how Nehemiah has to come in and cleanse the temple because they have corrupted it again already. And so even just in that, and uh, the prophet Haggai mentions, talks about that too, which is right before Malachi, I believe. Um, Even in that, it shows, again, this cycle of sin and it's leaving us wanting for something better. Yeah, because they didn't learn their lesson. No. Um, And we pick up and we see in the Pharisees that they still haven't learned their lesson. And so um, it is a heartbreaking reality that we live in. But yeah, it's so cool. Um, Yeah. And I am so excited to hear what you and Kristen have to talk about the Gospels and Acts because Mm -hmm. that is really, I think just the heart of the biblical story. Yeah, I know. So next week we're going to pick up with really the, the like climax of the Bible. Uh, We're going to move kind of out of this portion of the fall, which I mean, technically we're still under the fall, but move into the meta narrative portion of redemption. And we're going to talk about Jesus. Um, We've already been talking about Jesus, but we're going to see his life, his death, his resurrection and the implications of that. Everything that he ushers in, everything he fulfills, the new covenant he establishes. It's going to be such a fun conversation with Kristen next week. So you're not going to want to miss that. But this has been a fun conversation as well. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Of course.